Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. We want to welcome you back to the program again this week. And again, my pastor is on the set with me today. This is my the pastor, the senior pastor of the church I attend in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. She is the pastor of Word of Deliverance in Berkeley Springs. If you live anywhere within the tri-state area, you owe to yourself to come by on a Sunday and hear her preach. And uh, you can hear from the things that she's sharing. What a blessing she is to the body of Christ. She started a series back several weeks ago from Ezra and Nehemiah that's brought uh, great inspiration to me, and I've built several messages on it myself, and of course she has, and so I wanted to have her on the program and share some of her perspectives. We're talking about Reformation. I believe what God is doing is much bigger than revival, but one of the things that I, uh, I was in uh, uh, Oklahoma last weekend in Kansas, and uh, I started to look back through history, and I, I, I brought some statistics that I call viruses and victories because I wanted to bring some parallels to some things that happened during times in history when there was pandemics. Because we can always look at the negative or we can take a look at some things that would be positive. But uh, uh, many times throughout uh, history, there have been outbreaks of epidemics that seem to have uh, some spiritual context. Many times the people thought they were divine punishment for sin or as eschatological. In other words, they thought it was the sign of the last days. But the truth of it was it was not the last days. I believe some of the reasons why many of these revivals down through history have fizzled out is because uh, they thought it was revival, and it was bigger than revival. It was actually a reformation, reformation. and a great. It's trying to refocus us, right, to shift us from evacuation to occupation. Jesus said, "Occupy." That's a military term. That right. means invade everything. But in just, just I'm just going to go through these real quick because then we're going to come back and talk about some of the gates of Nehemiah. But in 430 BC, the Athenian plague hit, and it caused people to be indifferent in the laws of man and God's. And many uh, uh, to just give themselves to self-indulgence. It led to the fall of civic duty and religious superstitions begin to reign. In other words, what you believe in the midst of these things can really be detrimental or can be positive. Absolutely. And 430 B.C., the Athenian plague caused people to be indifferent in the laws of man and gods. And many of them, like I said, went into self-indulgence. At the Antonian plague, also known as the Plague of Galen from 165 to 180 A.D., which was after death, it weakened the military of the Roman Empire and the economic supremacy. It also affected ancient Roman traditions, leading to the renewal of spiritual and uh, spirituality and religion in creating conditions for spreading the new religion called Christianity came in the midst of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. In 50, 541 to 600, A.D., the Justinian plague. At this point in history, Christian tradition enters into the realm of interpreting and understanding the events of this nature, drawing on the eschatological narrative of the book of Revelation and plagues and other misfortunes as seen as punishment for sin or retribution or the induction of the wrath of God. In other words, they shifted from what the early fathers believed. They believed that most of this eschatology end time stuff was first century. It was about the destruction of the temple and the change of that age 
and instead they started to put it in the future. And they started to capitalize and shift towards, well, these are signs of the end. We're dealing with that right now. People are scared to death that the right. sky is falling. But down through history, they all thought it fit their paradigm. But it was not the end. I said this, and I'm just not going to get on eschatology here, but I said this recently. I said, first of all, uh, this cannot be the coming of the Antichrist or the man of sin because the way they believe it, or the way many of them believe, is that the man of sin has to come to the temple of God and show himself that he is God. There is no temple in the Middle East for the man of sin to come to, so it doesn't even fit right. the dynamic. But in 1334 to 1347, the Black Death hit, and this was the first official report blamed on alignment of three planets for causing great pestilence in the air. Because they had no explanation for the catastrophes, people turned to religion and began praying to patron saints, to the Virgin Mary. Uh, they, they began joining processions of whipping themselves with nails and scourges and chanting hymns and purging themselves by trying to relieve themselves from the divine punishment for sin. They tried to identify the groups who are the greatest sinners against God frequently slinging, or singing out, singling out minorities or women. It goes, you know, what you were saying about uh, the shields of brass in the last segment that we did and uh, how that, you know, they just, you know, we preach this is the judgment of God and we, we need to change these brass shields from a message of judgment to a message of reformation. And uh, it goes on to say here that they, uh, uh, in, the Jews in Europe are commonly targeted, uh, accused of poisoning the wells, and the entire communities per persecuted and killed non-Catholic Christians and blamed the heretics. In Egypt, they prohibited women from making public appearances so they did not tempt men into sin. They turned to all kinds of aromatic vapors and oils and remedies and all kind of quacks selling useless cures and adornments claimed magical protection. Sounds like our day. I mean, the mistakes repeat themselves. The shortage of human labor, though, brought about innovations of labor-saving technology. 1798 or 1793, the yellow fever hit, but there was the first Great Awakening. 1832, cholera virus hit. And 1832, Charles Finney began to preach, and it was a Great Awakening. 1857, Scarlet Fever hit. The Beardsley Revival broke in, strong in the midst of strong political upheaval, and the Beardsley Revival hit. 1906-1909, Typhoid Fever hit. The virus hit William Seymour, Charles Parham, Azusa Street, and the Sunderland Revival, and Smith Wigglesworth came on the scene. Fourteen people were raised from the dead during that season. 1918, the Spanish flu. Jack Coe was born, Amy Simple McPherson, and thousands people are, 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 they launched revival all over the nation. 1921, diphtheria hits, and Jack Troop and the Fisherman's Revival, called it the Fisherman's Revival, begins and thousands of people got saved. 1960 to the 1970s, swine flu, H1N1, all kinds of other diseases hit, but Billy Graham, Catherine Kuhlman began to emerge, Oral Roberts, A.A. A. Allen, and many others began. That's the revival we got saved during our family, at least did. It sure. was also great, known as a great time of rebellion in our nation with protest against Vietnam, uh, w uh, the women's lib movement, the uh, you know, uh, racial upheaval, riots in our cities. But right in the midst of it, God began to release revival, or I think bigger than that, we missed the point that it wasn't just about revival, it was about shifting cultures and shifting reformation. Every generation seems to have an opportunity to see the glory of God. I want to just read this, and then we're going to jump into the thing about the gates. Every one of these thought they were living in the last days, and that it was a last day revival, when in fact it was renewing the dominion mandate, 
None of them were last day revivals. They were the threshold of God trying to restore the kingdom. We must lose our evacuation mentality and replace it with an occupation mentality and prepare ourselves, I believe, for a great harvest to see the kingdom of God come in power. And when you started talking about these gates earlier, I really thought about how it fits into the paradigm of all of these. I know I'm talking a lot in this first part of it, but especially this thing about, you know, when the diphtheria hit and Jack Troop and the Fisherman's Revival, it was an opening, if you will, of the fish gate and people beginning to come back in. In other words, all of these, we can focus on how bad it is and how dark it is, or we can seize the opportunity of our day. Absolutely. And if we don't seize the opportunity of our day, it will just go to the next generation and right. God will renew it. But I don't want to miss it. Amen. Jump in there. I think it would probably give you some place to... Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and when we're talking about, you know, uh, we were talking about the old gate, there's some things that, that need to be established, but then there were some new things that we're doing. We're not talking about reviving, going back and reviving yep, something right. that used to be. God is constantly moving. God is constantly progressing. It's not just a revival, but it's a reformation. It's a reforming. It's a yep. moving on it. And reformation builds on what you've already had, but it builds. Yep. And of course, we're talking about arise and build, you know, and the challenge is to, you know, like you said, to prepare the next generation. And where are we going with the next generation? And I don't want to miss it. I want yeah. to be a part of that. You know, uh, 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 Rehoboam lost the vision of Solomon and he did not have the wisdom. And so he did not operate in the same wisdom as, as his father even though Solomon had his issues. And so he replaced some things that were sacred and we lost yeah. something in that generation. It became the shields of brass. And we even in, in the church have operated in that mindset where it's become the shields of brass instead of the shields of, you know, the grace of God and what he's given. And, you know, I think about, you know, uh, if we're to leave a dynasty to our next generation, we want that dynasty to increase. We want, we don't want to go back and make the same mistakes. You know, we don't want to go backwards. We want to go forward. And, um, you know, just what you were saying, uh, God can use any, uh, any platform. You know, God doesn't need a pandemic no. to move, Yeah. but he will move in spite yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. God doesn't need to bring sickness on you yeah. To, to, to work yeah. through you, but he won't waste it. Yeah. He will work through yeah. that. And so God's not bringing pandemics right. on it so he Say can that. have the next move of God. Yeah. But God right smack dab in the middle of chaos will cause Kairos to happen. Yeah. And divine things will come out of there. You say, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I didn't see that happening. Yeah. But God will do some great things yeah. in the midst of that. You know, even in the disciples and in, in that day, they were under Roman rule. And oppression, and they were waiting on a savior. They were waiting on a, a leader. They were waiting on a Nehemiah. They were waiting on somebody to come and 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 switch. Rebuild a temple. It rebuild was a kind of a temple, yeah. Rebuild and to switch that. You know, when we talk about all the gates of the city, when when Nehemiah began to survey the city, and, and first thing he did was go down and go through and, and survey the gates. And Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and he fulfills every one of those gates. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he becomes the sheep gate. You know, where we know that there's no way to the Father except through the Son. You know, where Jesus is Lord. And we focus on that. And we talked about the old gate. And we talked about, you know, the fish gate. And when I think about that, you know, uh, God has called us to be disciples. But he's also called us to be fishers of men. And fishing, you can do fishing a whole lot of ways. Yep. You know, you can do a casting net or you can do a fish, you know, a, a fishing pole or you can do, uh, you know, you can do it a whole lot of different ways. But it's all about catching men. And uh, the kingdom of God 
you know, when he said, I've called you to be fishers of men, we have a mandate to take the gospel to the world, yeah. to the nations, and how we do that. And we're doing it through, you know, uh, even in this day, the, the, the way we're doing it is changing. Yeah. Through media and through live streams and through Facebook and through social media and the ways that we can culture. But Jesus comes up to the, the disciples, uh, you know, and the multitude is hungry. They're confused, they're hungry, and they're looking for something new than what they had. That was the attraction to Jesus. Yeah. You know, this guy doesn't talk like anybody else we've ever heard. He doesn't talk like the normal rabbi. He's not the normal teacher. And, he's, and what he says is followed by signs and wonders. You know, and I believe there's a message of the gospel that not only is just a word and, or deed, but it's followed by signs and, and miracles. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a new rabbi, there's a new teaching on the scene. And so Jesus comes to the shore and, and you know, when we talk about the fish gate, when it comes to the New Testament, it starts to be called the fish market. And I think there's a difference between a fish gate and a fish market. If we're not careful, we have marketed the gospel. Yep. And we have bought and sold in the temple instead of making it a place where people can come. As we said, you know, we replaced the, the, the shields, those who guard the door, doors of the king's house, we replaced those shields with brass instead of gold. And we have made it a fish market instead of, of a fish gate. Mm -hmm. But Jesus comes along and when he hits the disciples, you know, and he's out. One of the things in, in Nehemiah is they heard the voice of opposition of Samballot and all the reasons why it couldn't happen. And why is it when God begins to speak to us about something, we, we don't respond in, yes, Lord, we respond in all the reasons why it can't work yeah. and all the reasons why it can happen instead of all the reasons why it can. We talk ourselves out of it instead of talking ourselves into it. And he said, nevertheless, we began to build and we began to, to um, bridge the gaps and we began I am excited to announce the release of my newest book titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. Every time he uses that phrase it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought that the bread that fell in the wilderness was the true bread, but Jesus says to them, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead, but I am the true bread. They thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. As you read the pages of this book, you will truly discover the faith that replaces fear and that believing you will have life through his name. You will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. You will rediscover that he is the great I am. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today to repair the breaches and and we began to uh, get the people with a mind to work but when I was talking about that word nevertheless you know never settle for the less mm -hmm. regardless of what yesterday looked like we don't settle for that and when I went over into uh, in Luke uh, chapter 4 I believe it is when Jesus sees the multitude and they're hungry they're confused they're scared and kind of like where we're at right now, yeah. you know, and he begins to get, he gets in the boat and he begins to teach them. And he tells the disciples, he said, launch out into the deep, you know, and it says using their boat for a pulpit. And I love that if you read it in the message Bible, because he says using their boat for a pulpit. And we talked in the last se session about, you know, we sometimes think if you're called into ministry, that means you're going to preach yeah. or you're going to lead worship or you're going to be a Sunday school teacher. But I believe in this day, God is anointing people you know, in media, in, in uh, finance, in government, all kinds of things. He will use your boat 
to become a pulpit to reach the nations of the earth. Yeah. And says, reaching, using their boat for a pulpit, he begins to preach the gospel to them. And then he says to Peter, those guys in the ship with him, he said, launch out into the deep and cast, get, let down your nets and get ready for a multitude of fish. And Peter does just what I said before when we said, you know, uh, we talk ourselves out of things. He said, Lord, we have toiled all the night. And we've been in a season of that, I think, even in the American church and in the local church where we think it's all by works and labors and, you know, toiling. the toiling yeah. and the spinning. And, you know, I have toiled all the night and we've caught nothing. What we're doing is not working. And Jesus, he said, but nevertheless, at nevertheless. your command, never settle for the less. That might be what it looks like now, but nevertheless, at your command, I'll let down my net, not out of faith. Peter's not a man of faith yeah. yet, but out of obedience. Yeah. And there's sometimes I think you do out of obedience and the faith comes. Yeah. You know, when you hear the word of the Lord and you respond to it, then the faith comes in that. But he said he, they let down their net. And when they did, they brought in the draught of fish that they could not contain. And their nets began to break. And they had to summon other boats to come and, you know, to, uh, to join in the harvest. And I think we're in a season where we'll, we'll just be obedient to what God is saying, you know, that we realize that we've been called to be fishers of men and we begin to let down the nets. Some of the, some of the nets, he said, one of the scriptures said that they were repairing the nets or mending the nets. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some nets you've got to repair. Yeah. We've got to have some networking. Yeah. There's some networking that's taken place that when God begins to bring a, a multitude, it's not about if they come to my church or your church, but it's about reaching. It's about bringing in the fish. Yep. It's about reaching people. It's about changing lives. And so they had to call to another boat and had to tell them, come in and share in the bounty of what it does. And then uh, in the Message Bible, it says, and Peter falls down on his knees and says, depart from me because I'm you're way too holy for me. You know, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. But, you know, it brings a humbleness to Peter that says, you know what? It's not about what I do. It's about when he speaks and I respond out of obedience, then the multitude of fish. And really that's our agenda, you know, is to be, to reach people and not to market the gospel but to make it a gospel of whosoever will, that we can reach the nations of the earth. He begins to shift Peter in his thinking. He said, from thenceforth, you're not going to be a fisherman of just fish. It says perch and bass, yeah. but you're going to become a fisher of men. And God begins to shift a voice like Peter. And he takes 12 fishermen and he starts to, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of upheaval, in the midst of chaos, he begins to take people and start shifting and he begins to take the gospel to people who wouldn't have received it for it, to the Jew, to the Gentile. And he begins to change cultural settings. He begins to be an inclusive gospel instead of a, a gospel that sends people away. He starts to go to people like the Samaritan or the Gentile or the, uh, you know, and he begins to cause cultural I mean, yeah, Jesus the centurion, got Italian centurion he goes to go. The, I mean, the culture, Jesus began to take cultural, take the gospel to the cultures, and he began to change cultures by what he taught, mm -hmm. by what he modeled, by what he demonstrated. And I believe it's a time that even that, you know, the gospel and what God is doing in this Reformation is beginning to take the gospel to different cultures. 
and we're not afraid of cultures, but with the blending, just what you were sharing before about the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation, and it's not just one tree. It's the boughs of goodly trees, all kinds. It's yeah. all kinds of trees that God are joining together, and as He's joining those things together, uh, then we're seeing, you know, uh, we're seeing a reformation on how, if you know, Jesus, the great reformer, as he begins to, um, you know, uh, as he begins to teach, he's challenged on every level on even how he executes the word of the gospel, you know, what he, uh, of what he shares. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things I was thinking while you were saying that is that the, there's a text in the scripture that says that you be perfectly joined together. I believe that Greek phrase is the same one that's used for mending the nets. I think it's the same Greek phrase. I think that's the right one. It's been a long time since I've preached on it. But that's the nets that need to be mended is we need to be perfectly joined together. One of the things I've noticed, of course, traveling, a lot of times is in my travels, I've, I, I come across groups that have a powerful message and no strategies. Right. And then I come across groups that have got powerful strategies and no message. Yeah. And it's like, this is this camp and this is this camp. But if you could ever get the message and the method together, or the strategies. One of the things he told Peter is even after, you know, he had toiled all night and rode, he said, cast your net on the other side of the ship. I sometimes think that's the new covenant side. We yeah. fished on the wrong side of the boat right. with the wrong kind of bait, and we run fish off. We ain't catching nothing. Yeah because the message is not attractive, it's repulsive to people. But when we cast our nets on the other side of the ship, it's going to take more than just one to bring in the harvest of the fish. And I'm convinced God's not done yet. That I, even as I shared some of these stats in the very beginning, is this is a time when our expectancy levels ought to go to another place. And we begin to strategize and work together and begin to find the Nehemiahs, the Ezra's, the Haggai's, the Zacharias that are supposed to be together, because it took all of them, right? You know, and see these gates restored. And one of the first ones was the fish gate. Yeah, because every one of those reformations, there was a great harvest. Great harvest. There was a great harvest of fish. Yeah. You know, and so if we're ever going to have, I even called one of them the fisherman's revival. The fisherman's revival. <laughs> yeah. And naturally. Yeah. 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 But if we're ever going to have to see a true reformation. That you know the whole the the what happened is every one of those there was a great harvest yeah. and and so if we're going to have a great harvest again how does how, what does that look like how does that happen okay. well what happens because number one we're networking we're connected we are you know uh, it's more than one person can handle we're bringing in and one of the scriptures says it, and they brought in every kind of fish yeah. in the net yeah you know and uh, we were talking before even about you know, what it looks like for the next generation and things like that. You know, the dynasty of Solomon's did not look like the dynasty of Moses. Yeah. Moses raised up a Joshua that went on into the promised land and had a greater ministry, you know, an Elijah and an Elisha, you know. And so we want the next generation to be in good hand. How we handle where we are determines what the next generation inherited, yeah. inherits. And, and we want them to inherit a greater day. And when I think about, you know, the fish gate and I think about, 
you know, the story of the, the five loaves and, and the two fish, and we've shared that before, that but, but then when the young man comes to Jesus, out of that whole multitude, when Jesus stands on the shore and preaches to them, out of that whole multitude, there's one lad that packed his lunch for the day. Yeah. You know, like, was there nobody there who bought groceries, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but rather he packed it, or rather his mama said, you know, son, you're going to be in the presence of greatness today. And you need to be prepared. Don't come home to eat. Yeah. You stay there till you get what you're next. Somebody packed his basket full yeah. of the goods. He had five loaves and two fishes. And I believe that there's a generation that we have a mandate to fill their basket full of bread and fish or bread and wine or, or the, the, uh, you know, the table of the new covenant. Mm -hmm. We need to fill their hands so full that when they get in the presence of the multitude that Jesus can take what's already been packed into them and as he begins to open them up and use them to distribute to the multitude that the multitude is being uh, met because there's a generation a younger lad, yep. a younger generation that comes on the scene in better shape yep. than those who were already Standing there. Standing on the shoulders of great people. Yeah, when we, get, we, when we get a fear mindset and when we think we're ready to escape and we're fearful, we don't prepare for what the next generation has to have and we leave them empty-handed. But if we pack them full of, of the word and the, and, and the strength and the message of the gospel of grace and the kingdom of God... And, you know, that when they get to the multitude, they've got answers. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, one of the things that I was thinking while you were saying that is the word consecrate. When they consecrated the priest, the word consecrate means to fill the hands. Yeah. Give them something to give. Yes. And this lad had a mama somewhere that packed his lunch, so somebody had poured into the next generation. And I, I, I give, you know, honor to, uh, you know, my dad especially and, and, and to my father-in-law as well who poured in my mom and, and, and uh, different people. But really, my, you know, my mom and dad and my father-in-law poured into me, uh, you know, some stuff that, you know, especially as areas of integrity and honesty and some of that that were really valuable to me. Now see how much more valuable they are than just your message. And so I think that means like you feel the hands to consecrate, to feel the hands to give them something. And even in Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, when they begin to build the walls, and, and they, they had families that were, and from 20 years old and upward, yeah, they built. And I, and I said, you know, I believe this move of God that we're in is going to have to engage the next generation. And we're going to have to, I'm, and I'm asking the young people to step up. You know, I've said this a lot, and probably this may sound a little bit critical, but I'm almost running out of time, and I want to say it. But, uh, you know, I tell pastors all the time, when you have a church dinner, you know, our age grouping up, we come with fried chicken, mashed potatoes, you know, a cake, coleslaw, and the <laughs> they come with two liter Pepsi and a bag of potato chips. And then they take three plates home and want, let you clean up, and they want to do this every week. But at some point, they're going to have to step up, and they're like, well, we got kids. And I'm like, yeah, that's how we were raised, too, is in the house of God. Well, that's why we went when there was seven of us kids, not just two or three of us. But I'm asking them to step up. Because we need the next generation mm -hmm. and what we've poured into them to begin to engage because this thing God's doing is big. Yep. And uh, we're about to run out of time. And so we just, uh, if you'd like to give and, and support this ministry and help us to be able to take this kind of a message around the world, uh, go to my website. It's the easiest way to do it. And there's a, a right on the front page a place where you can give via credit card, PayPal, MasterCard. Uh, you can also call the number on the screen. If you don't get an answer, please leave a message. Our team is very limited, but they will call you back. 
and you can give uh, over the phone. Also, it's easy just to write a check and send it to the address that will come up on the screen. But we truly do need your help as we take this message around the world through television and other means of media. Help us cast the net on the other side of the ship. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.